I want to talk to you this morning about the glory of God. As a matter of fact, this is going to be a two-part sermon, as I told the first service today. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about how do we live for the glory of God. But the glory of God is almost an archaic subject. In my conversations with people, and I always try to look for topics that I think people are interested in, or maybe they're hurting in this area of their life, they have questions in this area. But when I've asked people, both Christians and non-Christians, about the glory of God, it's almost like, huh, what, is this important? And, and it's one of the most important concepts in the entire Bible. And I want us to take a careful look at what the glory of the Lord is and why God says to give Him glory and where we see some of the places that that's manifested. This, of course, cannot be an exhaustive message, but it's just an introduction to the glory of God. And then next week, we'll talk about how we live for the glory of God. So if you would, out of respect for the scriptures this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. In the 96th Psalm... There, the psalmist cries out, not to Israel, but to the nations of the world. He cries out to the Gentiles, and he says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. The psalmist has this conviction, this deep conviction, that God is not only strong and almighty, but he's glorious. And we'll look at that word glorious in a few minutes and talk about why that's such a powerful and beautiful word. And then Paul makes a statement that's the bedrock of our faith. As a matter of fact, it affects everything we do at Woodland Church. This has impacted how Becky and I have made our decisions in our marriage for over 45 years, how we've tried to raise our children, live our lives. It's the bedrock of every passionate follower of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Would you read that with me this morning? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here with us today. We thank you, Father, for the glory of your presence. And if there's anything, God, that I deeply crave, I've craved it, Lord, for this congregation Lord, always, it's the glory of your presence, Lord. And so I'm asking you now, Lord, not for a feeling. I'm not asking you, Lord, for chill bumps. I'm not asking you for anything other than the real deal. God, let your glory fall and rest in this place, in our marriages, in our families, and in our lives as individuals today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. C.S. Lewis wrote a great essay. It's in a little book that I recommended to the first service today. And I've recommended this in times past. It's called The Weight of His Glory. It's one of the best essays on the glory of God that I've ever read. And I'm going to read to you a couple of selections from that essay today. So here's the first one. I turn next to the idea of glory. There's no getting away from the fact that this idea is very prominent in the New Testament and in early Christian writings. Salvation is constantly associated with psalms, crowns, white robes, thrones, and splendors like the sun and stars. All of this makes no immediate appeal to me, and in that respect, I fancy I'm a typical modern. 
Glory suggests <clears throat> two ideas to me, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to be fame or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as competitive passion and therefore of hell rather than of heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of electric light bulb? What Lewis is doing in his generation, he was the theologian, the evangelical theologian for the common man. There were great theologians that were preaching. There were people like G. Campbell Morgan, Martin Lloyd-Jones. There were people who were rising up like Billy Graham who hadn't reached the zenith of his evangelistic ministry yet. But in that time, there was a man who in Europe, in Britain, in the Americas, Canada, South America, and Japan was being widely read. His ministry, his writing ministry was influencing missionaries, was influencing evangelists and pastors, but more than that, it was influencing the multitudes. So much so that during World War II, he was asked to bring a series of Bible talks over the BBC to comfort and encourage people. And what Lewis did was he tried to present the glory of God, the truth of the Bible. One of the reasons that he was so respected is because he had been a former passionate atheist, and now he'd become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And Lewis was completely taken up with the glory of God. When I read Lewis and then I read the Psalms alongside of Lewis, I find myself praying, Lord, help me to have a greater appreciation and a greater love for the glory of God. Help me to become more perceptive. Help me to become more aware of the glory of God in all creation. The psalmist is not saying that the creation proves the existence of God. The psalmist is saying that creation reflects the glory of God. There are times in my life when I have been almost poetic, and I'm not poetically given. But I've gone back and read my journals the first time I saw something of great beauty or majesty, whether it's been in a jungle, the first time I saw one of the hugest monitor lizards I'd ever saw, and he was coming right at me and scared me spitless. The first time I ever saw an anaconda, just marveled, God, what did you have in mind when you created this beast? The first time when walking down a trail in the jungle and I saw a toucan bird and he looked so much better than the Fruit Loops bird that we're all familiar with. Seeing the Alps or any of the other wonderful things I've been able to see and to write about. I find when Facebook comes along that there are times when I've seen something so wonderful I've wanted to share it. And then I came home when long before Facebook and I bought my first 35 millimeter camera and and I took the pictures that Becky and I had made of a three-week three trip that we had made out west and from the Rockies and the Grand Canyon and all the places we'd gone to Mexico and California. And I remember the photographer saying, could I use some of these to display? He said, I think this would be encouraging to other people as an amateur photographer. I was quite flattered by that and said, of course, and put my name on there and people would ask me about it. There's something about us, we love to share what's beautiful and what's glorious. And the psalmist calls upon the Gentiles, you and I, he calls upon us, recognize, 
recognize the glory of God that's behind all of this. Creation is not an accident. Creation is not a cosmic accident and that somehow or another that everything that we see is somehow or another this accident and one day because it has no meaning, it was accidental, it's all going to disappear and the world as we know it will disappear and therefore you are an accident, life is an accident, it has no meaning. We buy into the philosophy of Nietzsche that life just basically has no meaning. It's the reason why there can be so many homicides and so much killing. We spend billions looking for life on other planets, and yet we cavalierly, we politicize, we campaign for votes to be able to destroy the unborn life and the human body, not recognizing that God is present with that developing baby of the heartbeat and the sinews and the muscles and the eyes and all the glories of what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. Because we thought, have bought into a lie that it's an accident. We don't know how to give glory, so we seek glory for ourselves rather than seek to give glory to God or even to recognize the glory in one another. It's the reason, again, that the psalmist would write in Psalms 29, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That word describe is declare. It's like if I was to stand up here this morning and go, God is great. That's what it means to declare and to glorify. And yet, if somebody stood up and said that on a plane, we'd be afraid there was going to be a bomb to go off. If somebody said that in public, we'd be afraid that a terrorist was about to ignite himself. We've lost what it really means to glorify God. The heavens declare, as a matter of fact, I'm okay. My Apple Watch, I guess because I shouted, wanted to know if I had fallen down. So I had to keep it from sending a 911 message there. The Bible says in Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Well, why does God want us to declare his glory? Why does God want us to proclaim his glory? Does God have a weak ego? Does God have unmet ego needs? I mean, you and I, we all know people who have unmet ego needs. They constantly need to be affirmed. They constantly need to be patted. They constantly need to be the best. They tell you how good they are. The reason we worship God is not because God has any unmet ego needs in his life. It's just the natural response of someone that has caught a glimpse of the glory of God. When you catch a glimpse of the glory of God, you revel in him. You marvel at him. You want to lift your hands to him and glorify him. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this congregation as I looked around in the first service. People were going hard after God. Hands extended worship. There was, a, there was something about us that we, we worshiped. We went hard after the Lord that morning. When you see something glorious, you just naturally want to tell somebody it's why I shared the pictures or I go on Facebook or you go on Facebook. 
And it's not that you want to share a selfie, but you want to share the Matterhorn. You want to share the Amazon. You want to share the Grand Canyon. You want to share Old Faithful. It's glorious. Let me ask you this question. There's some single guys in here. When you see a beautiful woman, what do you want to do? Well, this may explain why you're still single. When you see a beautiful woman, if she's unattached, you want to tell her. You want to tell her that she's beautiful. You, you want to tell her how much you delight in her beauty. You want to walk up to her and say, I just think you're gorgeous. And you hope that when you tell her that, that she somehow or another is going to delight and accept your compliment that she's beautiful and you hope that somehow or another maybe things will work out if she's unattached that you will be able to share that beauty for the rest of your life you'll be able to enter into that beauty be one with that beauty that's what it means to glory in God that's the reason we used to sing that Jesus is the most wonderful name I know. Jesus, the most beautiful name I know. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he glorious? We would sing those songs because it was just a natural response. It's not that God has unmet needs. It's just we have a need for God. We have this great need to participate and to enter in to the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago in our midweek service, I taught on this, the word kabod. It means the glory of God. Say it with me, kabod. Try it again, kabod. And that word kabod has the idea of weightiness and matter to it. In other words, God matters. God is weighty in this life. He's the most important issue there is. And we saw the glory of God, the kabod of God manifested upon the cross as God sent his son. If you want to know where you can see the glory manifested, it's at the cross. So how do we see God as he truly is? There's three words, and I won't go through them this morning. We'll talk about them a little bit next week of how we live for the glory of God since it's the bedrock of our faith, but we recognize it. We, we ask the Lord to open our eyes that we may see Jesus. We ask the Lord to open our eyes that we might behold him. Secondly, we marvel at the glory of God. We, just, we don't just go, oh, wow, that's pretty. We, we marvel at the creative genius of God of raising the mountains, of carving the valleys, of making a place for the oceans, of creating life. We marvel at it. And then after we've spent that time in his presence, marveling and worshiping, we, we go out and we just can't help. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. You see, the glory of God, God's glory is awesome. God's glory is awesome. And when you think of that word awesome, you think of a word probably today where you think awesome, oh, that was a awesome meal, or that was an awesome concert. No, the word awesome means terrifying, that you'd fall on your face in the presence. And in the Bible, the glory of God is associated with the presence of God, which is awesome. People fell flat on their faces in the presence of God. Jesus, though he walked among us, touched us, and loved us in his resurrection glory, people fell before him. 
His presence is terrible and awesome. On the mountain, one of the first manifestations of the glory of God was when God came down upon the mountain to Moses, and, and there Moses met with God and received the Ten Commandments, the flashing, the thunders, the lightnings flashing out of that, the fire of God's presence. The people were terrified. Moses came down from the mountain. He had to cover his face with a veil because the glory of God was just so brilliantly reflecting off his face. Well, it was awesome. It terrified the people. And so they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. And here we are each week asking God to speak to us. And yet, if we really knew and discerned and recognized the presence of God, then I'm telling you, we would fear no evil. If we truly recognize the presence of God, we would fear not death. If we truly recognize and marveled at the presence of God, Caught that one glimpse of what Calvary really means, what Christ did for us at Calvary, and how Christ removed the problem that we'll look at in just a moment, and how that solved the issue of us and the glory of God. Before Calvary, after those 400 years that we talked about where the presence of God had been absent from Israel, the glory of God had departed because of the sins of Israel. God could no longer dwell with them because of their sinful ways. And God's glory and the angelic beings departed. There was on a, on a hillside one night when all of a sudden the glory of God was manifested and the angelic host was there. And there the angel of the Lord declared that there was a Savior that was born in the city of Bethlehem. But the disciples were not up and down jumping. Instead, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Do you remember the old King James Version there, what it said? They were sore afraid. I like that. They were sore afraid because suddenly... The glory of God was back. Christ was born. Hallelujah. What John the Baptist would preach about and you and I would celebrate 2,000 years later. The glory of God had come back. back. Oh, friends, I love God's glory. I crave the glory of God. But I fear that most of us don't even understand anymore what it is and what our world is starving for what those in our streets crying for justice are starving for what those who are calling for equal rights no matter your gender your religion your race your sexual preference what people are crying for is something they don't recognize anymore. Maybe perhaps because the body of Christ is not recognizing it anymore. Is we crave what we were created for. We crave the glory of God. Because we are not a cosmic accident. Life has kabod. Life has meaning. Life matters. God matters. And Calvary still matters today. 
Without Calvary, there is no Pentecost. Without Calvary, there is no resurrection. Without Calvary, there is no afterlife. Without Calvary, life is meaningless. But through Christ, all of a sudden, life takes on meaning. And the psalmist preaches the good news to the Gentiles. Declare, recognize the glory of God. He's here. Now, what is it? I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Moses has finished interceding for Israel and on the mountain, and now he's about to return, and so he makes a personal request of God. It's okay to make personal requests. It's okay to have something that you desire so deeply. You've interceded for everybody else, as we do on Saturday night in our prayer services. You've interceded for others it is time sometimes just to ask for what you want. That's the reason Jesus says, ask me for what you want. What do you really want today? What is the passion of your life? What drives you more than anything? And Moses said, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. You know, when I read that, I just jotted a little question in the margin of my Bible. If somebody would ask me, or ask the United States, show me your glory, what would we show them? I mean, Russia would probably have a great missile parade in Moscow. Great Britain would probably bring out the crown jewels and the queen and the golden chariot. The United States, we would think of our 4th of July parades when our military proudly marches and maybe there's a tank, there's a flyover of our military fighter jets and the colors and the blooms and we unfurl, what do we unfurl? Oh, glory. And if you're a Georgia football fan, and I didn't think I would mention this, but just in case you hadn't heard, Georgia beat LSU resoundingly last night. And there, people were singing glory, glory, glory to old Georgia. And I could think and remember those days sitting between the hedges at, at, in Athens, Georgia, when you'd see 85,000, 86,000 people begin to sing glory, glory to old Georgia. What would I say? But when God answers Moses' prayer to show me his glory, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. You see, God's glory is his goodness. God's glory is his, and when God wants to demonstrate his glory, it's not with lightning, it's not with thunder, it's not with earthquakes, it's not with winds, but the goodness of God passes in front of Moses. And today, my brothers and sisters, you have to know God's glory is his goodness to you and me. God has been good to us in Christ. God has been good to us in one another. The most glorious thing about God, we know this because he shows us, the most glorious thing about God is his goodness. So would you say it with me? God is good. Let's say it again. God is good. And in the first service, somebody yelled out all the time. And then we just yelled that out. God is good all the time. God is good. God wanted Israel to experience his glory. So he, he told them, he says, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to construct a tent. I want you to make a tent for me. A tent? A tent, really? 
I didn't appreciate this as a child. I didn't appreciate this with the flannel graphs in Sunday school, but I have preached and sit some of the sites of the most beautiful pagan temples in the world. I preached atop the Acropolis. I preached in Corinth. I, I preached in places where, in Rome, and, and I've stood at those sites and been able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, to these pagan deities, some temples that I've been to that were built to demonic gods, and there to declare the glory of Jesus Christ. One missionary took me to a place and said, here human sacrifices were made. Here people worship demonic spirits. And I said, is it all right if we gather and we have a worship service here and preach the blood of Jesus Christ and right there? You see, when our God decided that something would be built for him, it wasn't a magnificent temple of columns and pillars calling for human sacrifice. God chose a humble little tent and his presence dwelt with them. And when God chose to reveal himself, to those shepherds. He came to a group of humble little people because Jesus came and tabernacled. The word is skene. It's the word for tent. It's the word we get our word shekinah from. The glory of God was in a portable tent. And when the glory moved, Israel moved. When the glory was manifested, Israel prevailed. And when the glory of God came and tabernacled among us in Jesus Christ, you and I found eternal life. That's the goodness of God to us. You see, God reveals his glory in Jesus Christ. I fear, not just for the world and not just for the culture, but I fear as I listen to one preacher said, I'm so tired of hearing about the bloody sacrifice of Jesus. We've got to get beyond that. We can't get beyond the glory of God. I listened on the radio and I almost wish it was a tape or a, for those of you who don't know what that was, that was plastic in a little cassette. I wish for an MP3 or something so I could hear him say, but can we get beyond that? Oh, friends, don't let the world steal from us the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the kabod of God. It's where God says, you matter. It's where God says you matter so much that he abandoned himself from the glory of God to shed his blood for your sins and my sins. You see, the danger is this. It is illustrated in the Old Testament story of two backslidden preacher's boys, Hophni and Phidias. Israel had lost touch with what the glory of God was. Israel had lost touch with what it meant to live for the glory of God. They put their trust in a symbol, a beautiful symbol, an important symbol. They put their trust in an ark. And because their enemies were prevailing, they called for the ark because they thought the power was in the symbol. The power is not in the communion. The power is not in the building. The power is not in the altar. The power is in Jesus Christ. It's in the glory of God. We cannot lose the manifest presence of God among us. And so they took out the symbol, and the enemies defeated them, and they stole the Ark of the Covenant and took it to their pagan temple and set it before their pagan demonic god, Dagon. They came back to one of the preacher's wives, sons, or daughters, and she was having her baby, they told her, your husband has died, but there's good news. You have a son to carry on the family line. And she was so broken and so grieved because the ark had been stolen. 
She named her son Ichabod. The glory has departed. She was saying to her son, life has no meaning. She wanted her son to grow up with the name Ichabod. Your father has died. The ark did not protect us. Life has no meaning. It's all an accident. It doesn't really matter. He would grow up knowing his name meant without glory. It's the way we use the word a sometime, like in amoral, without morals. Imagine cursing your child like that. When we moved to Michigan in 1999, our boys were so excited. Pastor Corey, they couldn't wait to see the great Barry Sanders. That's all they could talk. Dad, can we go see Barry? Yeah, we'll go see Barry Sanders. Yeah, we'll go. We'll see Barry Sanders at some time. And they were so excited because on Sunday afternoons when the lines were playing, we, we just wanted to watch Barry. We'd watch ESPN to get the clips of Barry Sanders. I mean... The glory of Detroit, Barry Sanders. And we moved to Detroit, and Barry Sanders decides to retire. Ichabod, the glory departed. And my boys lost their interest in the Detroit Lions. They had gone from being the Detroit Lions to the Detroit Ichabod because Barry Sanders, he bore the weight, he bore the glory upon his shoulders with a dazzling way that he could run. Don't let that pass you by. If you allow anyone to steal from you because of your love of all the gifts of God, the greatest, most precious gift of all to you, the glory of God that was revealed at the cross when Jesus died for your sins in my day. And before he died, Jesus prayed. He says, Lord, I want them to share in my glory. I want them. Talk about you and me. He prayed for us. He says, I want them to share in my glory. Look with me if you would. Now my soul, I'm reading from John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Shall I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But for this very reason I came, to die for our sins. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven. I've already brought glory to my name, and I will do it again. Go to verse 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this indicating how he was going to die. Jesus wants us to enter into his glory. He wants us to touch his glory. He would go on. Now listen, don't miss this. We don't have time to read them all. He would go on to pray, Father, I want them to have your glory. I want them to share in the glory that is yours and mine. Father, may they be one in me, and may we be one in them. God wants you and I to have the glory of God tabernacling in our hearts. He wants his presence manifested in your life and my life. That's why it's so important to catch the glory again. Again, going to Lewis's essay, we do not merely want merely to see the beauty. Now, don't get, get that. That's, that's a good play on words. We don't, do not merely want merely to see the beauty. We want something else which we can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see. 
to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. It's what I meant when I said to you singles, when you see a beautiful woman unattached, what do you do? You're the one that has the need. You say to her, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous. 45 years later, I still rejoice. I still glory in the relationship and the beauty of my wife. And Lewis now is saying to us, but you were created for something more than human companionship. There's a craving in you to enter, to participate, to bathe in the glory of God. So what was the problem? Romans 3.23, everyone is sent. We all fall short of what? The glory of God. When Paul wants to make that so clear, he wants you to know what you've fallen short of, what I've fallen short of. I've not fallen short of the idea. I've not fallen short of my human potential. I've not fallen short of my capacity for glory. I've fallen short of the glory of God. You see, sin cuts us off from God, and when sin cuts us off from God, there's still such that hunger for glory that we try to accumulate it to ourselves. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel and how they built this tower and said, let us make a name for ourselves. If we're not making a name for God, we want to make a name for ourselves. And one of the ways you can discern a passionate follower of Christ is he wants the name of Jesus to be exalted. He finds himself singing, be thou exalted, O my Lord, above the heavens, be thou exalted. He finds himself craving more and more the glory of God. Imagine, imagine a newly minted officer. He's moved into his new office and he wants people to recognize his achievement and his glory. And so there's a knock at his door. He picks up the telephone because he wants whoever's coming in to recognize his glory. So a young private comes in and he says, just a moment. Yes, sir, General Milley. Yes, sir. Whatever you want, I'm happy to do it, sir. Thank you so much for trusting me, sir. Goodbye. And he hangs up the phone. Then he looks at the private and says, how can I help you? The private says, <clears throat> Sir, I'm here to hook up your telephone. I'm here to hook up your telephone. Isn't it amazing how we try to make ourselves look important sometimes? We're, we're wanting to accumulate glory. Part of what it means to die to self is to die to self-glorification and give glory to God. Part of what it means to die and to take up our cross and to live for the glory of God the way Jesus did is to take up our cross and follow him wherever he wants. We can't get glory because glory is a byproduct of knowing God. I will never forget the words of Governor John Ashcroft who later went on to be Senator Ashcroft and <clears throat> later went on to be the Attorney General, but we hosted him for a banquet in Georgia as he was helping us raise some funds for missions. And that night, one of the reporters from the local Savannah station said to him, Governor, how do you be, want to be remembered? And Governor Ashcroft is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And he started laughing. 
And he says, listen, name me the name of your last two or three governors. Nobody remembers the past governors. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me this morning. All of us have this desire that we're going to be remembered. The only way we will ever touch glory is to open ourselves up to Jesus Christ so that the glory of God might dwell within us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Well, let me wrap this up. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture, and I'm going to read you one more passage from The Weight of Glory by Lewis. First from Lewis. When the redeemed soul beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief learns at last that she has pleased him whom she was created to please, there will be no room for vanity then. She will be free from the miserable illusion that is her doing. Free from the miserable illusion. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, Whatever I've done, whatever I've accomplished, it matters for nothing. It's all for Christ. It's not that humble, oh, oh, let's give all the glory to Jesus, but didn't I do a really good job? It's not that kind of humility. It's the desire that you know and experience the glory of God. So much so that if you'll stand with me, this is the prayer of Jesus I want to read over you before we go home. This is Jesus praying for you. Read the prayer with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but read it with me. And don't miss this. I'm praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one and you are in me. Father, and I am in you. And may that they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. How did God give you the glory? When he died for your sins and his blood atoned for your sins and he was raised again on the third day and that sealed the deal. So much so that on the day of Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit came and baptized his church. Imagine for a moment, not looking down from heaven, but as we should, imagine for a moment looking from the ground up. The Bible says that there was the sound of a rushing wind. There were the appearance of little flames of fire. Remember Mount Sinai? There was this unexplainable praise to God that was coming out in all the languages that was gathered in Jerusalem that day. They said, we heard them speaking the glories of God in our language. They spilled out of that place doing what? Declaring the glory of God. You know a passionate follower of Christ, but they can't help but want to touch, want to live in, and want to declare the glory of God. And next week, we'll look at how do we do that. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, I thank you. 
that in your sovereign wisdom you have called us and redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. May we never, ever, ever lose our passion for the cross. May we be like Paul, that we glory in the cross because it was through the cross. It was through the cross that we don't have to have a symbol, but we enter by invitation boldly but humbly into the very presence of God and all of his goodness. So, Lord, again, I'm not asking for a feeling, but I'm asking for the discernment that each of us would recognize and love and appreciate the glory of God. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, There's a craving you have in your heart. And the politics of our day, the socialism of our day, the psychology of it, there's not going to satisfy that. Only Jesus will satisfy the craving of your heart. You can't earn it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God loved you so much that when you look at a cross, you're reminded of the goodness of God. When you see the majesty of a mountain or the waves of the sea or the beauty of an autumn day, you're seeing a reflection of the glory of God. Your life is not an accident. You hear me? Your life is not an accident. This world is not an accident. And more than anything, you and I need Jesus. So I'm going to ask you right now, would you pray with me? Remember what I talked about earlier? I said sometimes life gets blocked up. Sometimes life gets clogged up, it seems. Nothing seems to be going right. But when you ask Christ in your heart, he breaks the power of sin. And then you can realize the purpose for which God created you for. So you don't have to feel anything, but you do have to recognize that Jesus Christ matters. He's the kabod, the glory of God. Let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I can't think of any reason why I matter except you love me so much that you gave Christ to die for my sins. And now I ask you to come into my life. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior, my Lord, the ruler of my life. I want to live for your glory and not my glory. I want to touch your glory. 
So as much as I know how, on October the 10th, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And if you prayed that, would you just send me an email or email me at info at Woodland, or you can email me at prayer at Woodland, and I'll send you something first thing tomorrow to help you grow in your faith. And now would you just receive what I'm going to pray over this congregation right now, a blessing from God's Word. Now may the Lord give you perception and discernment to recognize the glory of God. And may you find delight in marveling at the presence and the glory of God. May whatever your eyes find to gaze upon this week, you find and see the glory of God's majesty and power behind that. And may you as well find the power to rise above the parapet and declare the glory of God every day to someone. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.